Hey there! I'm really glad that you've come to check out the KZMC Weekly Teaching. My name is Ryan Yahtzee and I'm the lead pastor. KZMC gathers together for worship every Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. in person. You can also join us by our live stream available on YouTube. If you're from the area and you're not already connected to a church, we'd love to have you come join us. You can find the full details at kzmc.ca. It's my hope and it's my prayer that God will speak to you through this teaching. May you have a marvelous day. Let's jump into our weekend teaching. And now just a word of prayer. God, we invite you to, uh, to guide us in this time. We want to hear from your word. We, wanna, we want you to shape our lives in light of the life, the teachings, the death, and the resurrection of our King Jesus. So do that work in our hearts now, we pray, Lord God. Amen. Another note about location, I thought, since these are strange times, let's mix it up and, and do the teaching in a different setting. I started out in the treehouse in our backyard. I was five minutes in, and then my neighbor decided to pull out his chainsaw. <laughs> Just terrible timing. You know, he had every right to go out and cut some trees. He didn't know what I was up to, but uh, so then I had to re- relocate out here. So hopefully this goes okay. Maybe there will be some cedars that show up behind me. Uh, we'll see. Uh, our teaching this weekend is from Philippians chapter 4 verses 4 to 9. We're going to get to that in a moment. One of the things that I really enjoy doing is hiking. I love hiking more than just about anything. Just to get out into nature, get some good exercise, just kind of clear your head, get away from the noise and, and just, you know what, whether it's with people or with God, I just love hiking. If you've done good hiking, you will know that it's key that you're continually watching your path. You'll know that you always got to be watching. You know, this this isn't the case on a nice even trail. Uh, it's not the case for like say the Goddard's to Guelph Rail Trail, maybe McNaughton, uh, McNaughton Park, McNaughton Trail there. But if you're on a good hiking trail, there will be lots of roots that you could trip over. You could sprain an ankle. There will be lots of rocks that you could slip on and then you could bruise yourself or scrape yourself. And uh, back in, I guess it was early March, maybe the end of February, I went for a hike early March, went for a hike along the Maitland Trail up north of Goddard's there between Goddard's and uh, Ben Miller. And uh, it was a little bit snowy and icy. So I had to watch so carefully every single step to make sure that I didn't slip on the ice. And the thing is, when you're so focused on the trail ahead of you, you don't realize the glory of creation around you. You don't realize like there's, you know, you're up on some bluffs, you're looking out over the Maitland River and it's just, it's gorgeous. It's awesome. And uh, so I, I find that I have to be careful that when I'm so focused on the path, sometimes I, the hiking doesn't have that same sort of freeing sense. It doesn't have that same sort of um, peaceful sense, not that same sense of joy because I'm not looking up. I'm not taking in those beautiful views. And I think it does actually change my disposition. And so as I hike, when I got to keep a close eye on my feet, I got to make sure that there's points when it's safe to do so to kind of look up and take in the trees, the leaves, the sights, the rivers. Uh, I got to go to those lookout points and pause for a few minutes and take all that in. And uh, today our, our text is on the theme of rejoicing. And I really think it fits with this in that it's critical in life that we can't just have our eyes focused on our circumstances before us and that's it because we can easily become overwhelmed. But it's when we lift our eyes from our circumstances, get the big picture around us, get the big sense of what God is up to, that that Um, plays a big role actually in finding joy in our lives. So that's that's a little bit, I think, of what Paul hints at in our text. 
I confess, when I, when I opened up our text, Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 9, I looked at it, and it starts out, and it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. And I, I saw it. I was like, oh, really? Like, this is the first week of, of this new stay-at-home order, and we're discouraged. I'm frustrated. Ugh, I don't want to be at this point. Like, how, how am I going to, I guess not look everybody in the eye because I'm preaching to a video, but how am I going to say to everybody, all right, let's just slap a smile on. Let's, let's rejoice. It's, it's all great. When we're in this place where we're frustrated and we are discouraged. But as I reflected on that and I thought, you know what? Um, Paul, when he wrote this, he was in worse circumstances than what we're in. Paul, we talked about this as we've worked through this series. Paul was in prison. He didn't know if he was ever going to get out and see the light of day. Surely he didn't have a great menu to choose from. Surely his sleeping accommodations were horrible. Surely it was smelly. Surely there were people around him that weren't real pleasant. It was horrible circumstances. He couldn't even go for a walk in the park. He couldn't even order takeout like we can. And so I actually think that um, this is actually a great message for us to receive this week. As, As hard as it might be to receive it. Paul knew what he was talking about. He was walking this path of insisting on rejoicing in the midst of horrible circumstances. He didn't have life by the tail when he said this. He was in circumstances that, for most people, would get them discouraged, frustrated, pessimistic. And here Paul is saying, rejoice. I say it again, rejoice in the Lord. And and so I encourage you to receive these words in the midst of um, this four-week stay-at-home order that, that we have. I, I hope that we can receive that. So I'm, I'm going to read the text here, Philippians 4, verses 4 to 9. And it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Whatever you have learned or received from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. I've entitled my message for this weekend, uh, Five Keys to a Joy-Filled Life. Five Keys to a Joy-Filled Life. You might be thinking, really? Like, I, honestly, I'm someone who, I kind of sneer when I see five steps to this, or or five keys to that, or um, five principles to transform your life. I, I often sneer because usually these kinds of lists they oversimplify things and they're like, you know what, this is the key to perfection. And oftentimes it oversells uh, something. But I actually think that this is a helpful title. These are, in this text, five keys that we find to having a joy-filled life. But it's critical to remember within the context of what Paul's been writing to the Philippians about. We got to remember, this. these instructions are at the end of the letter. Paul has already spent three chapters really dwelling on, really emphasizing the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. He's been so pumped, like nothing to him matters more than who Jesus is. There's points where he says, you know what, to, uh, 
He says to live is Christ and to die is gain. Like he's just so focused on Jesus. And then later on he says, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. It's all about Jesus. So he's been setting this table that when we know our creator, when we know how we can be forgiven for our sins, we actually can have a joy-filled life. That's what sets the table. That's the foundation that we set this on. And so when we have that foundation, when we have that perspective, we can then begin to implement these five principles that kind of build on it or help us to, in practical ways, implement the realities of that foundation in daily living. So actually, when I, I kind of sneer at these five, five principles to whatever lists, I actually think that is applicable today. If you didn't have that foundation, if you're like, I'm just going to try really hard to do these things, then it would all be, uh, I don't know, it would be all hogwash. It would be all for naught. But because we have that foundation already, it actually does make a little bit of sense for us in terms of how we apply these steps. So the first step that we see to a joy-filled life is to rejoice. Paul starts out with that, rejoice. I'm going to say it again, rejoice always in the Lord. Rejoice. What, what do you think that means? I think it means to celebrate. I think it means to just decide to be happy about, to declare, to announce the good things that are going on around you, the good things that God has given you. One of the things that struck me, there, there are a few that I can think of. I, I can think of a handful of seniors whom I visited with at points over the years. And, and a couple of them that say, uh, this handful, that when I'm with them, they say, God has been so good to me. And that, that every time I see them, they say that God has been so good to me. And they'll say it multiple points throughout a visit. I'm like, yeah, like these folks, they get it. Um, sometimes these folks are in long-term care facilities and, and the limitations, the isolation, even pre-COVID, it's not easy living in that space. And, and they might have every reason to grumble and complain. And yet they say, God has been so good to me. And, and I just think that's a great example. Like they're applying this verse of, of rejoicing always celebrating, declaring the good things that God has done for them. So I think that's the first key is to decide to, to begin to live out this way of life of rejoicing and celebrating God. The second key that we have is to be gentle. Verse five, it says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now, I, I know that when I encounter a, a person or a situation that's frustrating to me, a person or a situation that's discouraging um, yes, yeah, something that's really challenging. My inclination is either to fight or to take flight, fight or flight, to win the, uh, the contest, to win the discussion, or just to walk away and ignore. That, that's my inclination. It's not healthy. It's not good. I either want to like rise up and demonstrate why I know more or why my idea is the best, or maybe I'll even try to pull my authority if, if that's applicable in that situation. Or I'm like, you know what? I don't even care. I'm just going to zone out. I'm going to back away from the conversation. I'm just going to scroll away on my phone. I'm going to whatever, right? Fight or flight. I think that gentleness, letting your gentleness be evident to all is, is the, 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 the proper response. I don't, the middle ground, the, uh, the way that we ought to interact in these situations, to be gentle. Gentleness engages a situation with patience and with love. It doesn't rise up and challenge. It's also gentleness is engaged, so it doesn't mean that you're backing away, ignoring the individual or the, or the situation. To be gentle is to be hopeful and to expect growth in that situation. And, and, and again, so if we want to live joyful, joy-filled lives, if we want to practically apply 
the realities, this foundation of the life that we have through Jesus' death and resurrection, we're going to be gentle because God is near. I want to live in, in gentle ways. I, th- I think that that would actually transform a lot of situations I'm in and uh, add a lot of joy. The third one is pray. That's the third step to a joy-filled life. Verse 6, it says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving to God, present your requests. Don't be anxious about anything, but pray. Now, before I proceed, I want to be abundantly clear. Some folks struggle with anxiety as a a mental health challenge, as as a a form of mental illness. And in those situations, it's not the right response to say, you know what, just try harder, just pray and you'll be okay. I don't believe that this text is what this is speaking to. I I think it's speaking to folks who are generally mentally well in a mentally healthy spot. Um, Because in in a different way, in a way that's not debilitating, um, we experience anxiety. You know, actually just this morning I woke up and there was a situation on my mind and it's a situation where I feel fairly out of control and I started worrying about it. And I started thinking about worst case scenarios. Like, oh, like what if this person does this and what if that happens and my mind's getting all stirred up or like, you know what? No, like I just got to pray about it. I can't control this. Um, I'm not going to get all anxious. I'm not going to have a horrible day because of it. Rather, I'm just going to hand it right over to God. I'm going to give it to God. I'm going to pray about it. And so I did. I was like, God, you know what? Like, you know what's going on in this situation. You know what's best. You can be at work for good here. And so as I handed it over, and, and I did, like I felt this, this peace and this joy replace it in, in actually a really wonderful, really life-giving uh, kind of way. And, and, and so anyway, I think that's a little bit of what it looks like to pray. Instead of stressing out, instead of trying to think about how you can change a situation, bring it to God. Leave it in God's hands because He is uh, the one. And, and off, honestly, the things that we often stress about, rarely do they turn out as, as horrible as what we imagine them in our moments of anxiety. So I invite you, uh, you want to experience joy? Um, when you're feeling stressed out, present your requests to God. And in that section, it also refers to thanksgiving. And so I think that's the fourth key to a joy-filled life is thanksgiving. It says, finally, um, it says, one moment, it says about not being anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a key part of these prayers. It's a key part of our posture with God. Don't just pray. Don't just throw up everything you need God to do for you, but be thankful. There was a Christian leader, I was listening to a sermon Uh, from a number of years back. And one of the things he said is, he's like, you know what? When I see myself being overtaken by worry, and when I feel myself just getting all stirred up, worrying, 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 the first thing I do, I get out my journal, and I just start listing the things that I'm thankful for. And he said, you'd be surprised how quickly that removes my worry and, and just puts me in a healthier spot mentally and emotionally to be thankful. And, and this is a practice. I don't, I don't think I do it um, as often as I should, but it is something that I've tried to do at points and, and it has proven really helpful to have this thankful disposition. And I really think those seniors that say, God's been so good to me, it's because they've dwelled on in their prayers, they're bringing stuff. God, thank you for this, that, and the next thing. You may have heard me say already that one of the principles that we've taken on one of the practices, a repeatable rhythm is actually what we call them for our family is every night after supper, we go around the circle and we say, thank you, God, for whatever. Everybody picks something. Today, this was great. Or, you know, sometimes it's things super random like water or windows or, or who knows what. Um, but we say thanks to God. We were struggling to kind of find a regular kind of way of just doing discipleship and worship with our kids after, after supper. And, and so for three years now, it's been great every night. 
Um, I shouldn't say every night. There's the odd time where we get busy and run off, but, but we go around the circle. We say, thank you, God, for such and such. Thank you, God, for such and such. And that's been really helpful uh, for us. I don't know what those um, repeated rhythms for you could look like in terms of thankfulness, but I encourage you to, to find that. What does it look like for you to have that um, posture, that rhythm of thankfulness? And this really, this thankfulness, it's lifting our our gaze from the roots, the rocks, the ice down at our feet, our current circumstances, which can feel overwhelming. We're lifting our eyes from that and we're looking up and we're looking big at the fullness of who God is and the fullness of what God has done. And I think that's a, a super helpful thing. And then Paul interjects here with this idea of peace. Verse 7, he says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I think that when, when we found our lives on the realities of who God is, when we put these practices in place, we can experience peace. Uh, a peace that passes all understanding. A peace that's surprising. A peace that doesn't make sense. And people look at you and like, how can you feel this way in the midst of your circumstances? I, th- I think of what my father-in-law and mother-in-law were able to experience in the midst of their journey with ALS and the, the various uh, support workers that would come in. Like, we can't believe how peaceful that you guys are. Like, it's that peace that surpasses all understanding. I know that I've experienced that at points and it's, it's awesome. We're just like, I have no idea why I feel so good about this situation, uh, but I do. I, I, I need to grow in this. I don't feel that way all the time, but I've experienced it. And I've heard a number of you express that as well. When we look up, look up from our own circumstances, look up from those rocks, those roots at our feet. We look up, we get that big perspective. And uh, yeah, like, like right now, right? Like I keep my eyes focused on the sand and it's nice, whatever, but like look up around and you see the clouds, you see the waters like, ah, oh, oh, this is good. God is, God is here, God's at work, God's in control, so much bigger than whatever's stressing me out today, that peace. And then once we have that peace, we can look back at the path in front of us, look back at our circumstances, but it, it is so with a different perspective and with much more joy. And then Paul goes on, uh, the last piece here, and I think this is the fifth step um, to living a joy-filled life, and that's to focus on the good. In verse 8, it says, Finally, brothers and sisters... Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. It's getting a little windy here. My, uh, my camera's shifting. <laughs> so think about such things. You know, I, m- I mentioned earlier about sneering at, at uh, five steps, whatever. I also kind of sneer at some of the positive thinking mantras that you'll hear. Uh, you know what, just think positive. And, and I think it could be over the top of like, I don't know, just dismissing the realities around you of like, oh, just positive thinking is the answer to everything. And I, and I don't think that that's really entirely true. But when we have that foundation of the life, the desire- death and resurrection of Jesus, of that hope, and then with that foundation, we decide to think positively. I think it makes a difference. That's why Paul's saying here, think about what is good. Don't think about the things that are negative. And, and there's, you know what, there's a thousand and one applications for this. Um, some of them, you know what, you're looking over at someone, you're feeling really jealous about how their business is doing, how their family's doing, um, about the ways that people befriend them. You're feeling that jealousy. In that moment, think about what's good. Think about the good things that God has gifted you in. Shifting your, your mindset from the negative things to the positive things, to the good, the beautiful, the true, the noble. Maybe, you know what, maybe you're facing temptation and, and you're tempted to, to dwell on, um, to, to lust after, to long for the spouse of someone else. Um, sinful. It's horrible. Um, but maybe you're getting pulled in that direction. It's, it's not a good thing to dwell on. 
fix your eyes to what's positive. There's lots of stuff you're gonna have to work through there, but think about what is true and what is good about your spouse. Thank God for the good things, the good qualities that your spouse has and, and make yourself do that. And, and I think that that can play a role in your perspective shifting and, and realigning yourself with which that is good. Maybe you're like super frustrated and stressed out about political realities right now. You're just like the political system, whichever end of the spectrum you're on, you're just like, oh my goodness, this is horrible. You know what? Fix your eyes on what is good and what's true. Fix your eyes on the kingdom of Jesus. Fix your eyes on the promises that he's made, the kingdom that he's unfolding, the things that are to come. Fix your eyes on the good things you see unfolding with the kingdom of God. And I think that when we fix our eyes on what's good, it will change our understanding of the things around us. Lots of examples. Um, You know what? Listening to podcasts. There's a lot of podcasts that you can listen to. And, you know, we navigate a world. And I think we have to navigate a world where, you know, there's things that are filthy around us. And we can't escape that. But what are we filling our minds mostly with? And so maybe you're listening to podcasts or music. um, A lot of which isn't honoring to God. A lot of which isn't right and noble. And and you need to fill yourself. We got to fill ourselves with the things of God. Start listening to podcasts that are talking about faith that are nurturing your relationship with God. Start listening to music that's nurturing your relationship with God. There's a podcast actually that I enjoy listening to called Spittin' Chicklets. And it's a hockey podcast. And it's fascinating interviews with players. But you know what? In the midst of it, there's there's foul language. And and there's some stuff where it's just like, oh, or it's just misogyny and and, and sexism and just sexual innuendo. And and it's not the focus, but it pops up along the way. And, And I gotta be careful, you know, again, You'll have different perspectives on this, but I think it's our way of navigating the world we're in, that as there's a lot of this around us, we can't escape it entirely. But we gotta pay attention. Is that the primary thing we're receiving? Is that um, the dominant voices we're hearing, what's not good? Or are we first and foremost, above all, hearing what is noble, what is good, what is right, and what is what is true? And so I, I gotta be careful with that. I gotta, I gotta make sure that I'm filling my mind with what is good so that I can navigate other parts of the world where um, what is ugly, what is horrible, kind of creeps in um, along the way. A lot more can be said about that, but I will leave it at that. So these are, these are the keys, I think, to a joy-filled life. When we're celebrating, we're saying with Paul, um, to live is Christ and to die is gain. When we're saying, I want to know Jesus, I want to know the power of his resurrection, I want to participate in his sufferings. When we're saying that stuff, and then we put in place these keys of, of rejoicing, of being gentle, of prayer, of being thankful, and of focusing on the good. Um, I think it makes a difference. I think we'll experience that joy. Uh, this next month is gonna be hard, it's gonna be frustrating. I want you actually to see this. Put yourself in Paul's shoes. I'm, gonna, I'm in a horrible spot like Paul, but this is prime training ground for learning to have a joy-filled life no matter what, no matter the circumstances around me. This is prime training ground, so I want you to take that to heart. I invite you, make a list. Make a list, each of these five things each of these five principles and say, this is how I'm going to apply this this week. This is how I'm going to apply that this week. Um, Yeah, I think that when we do this, we can grow. Again, it's not something that's going to happen overnight, but it's something that we can develop, that we can nurture, we can foster within. Um, Yeah, I, I want to be like, when I'm 70, I want to be one of those people that's just like, you know what? God's been so good to me when I'm 90. Not discouraged, not bitter. God has been so good to me because I've developed this capacity founded on who Jesus is, to say, you know what, I've got joy no matter what. So I trust that the Holy Spirit will minister to you. God, we invite you with these words, uh, the words that should fall away, please make them fall away. The words that should stick in our hearts and minds, I pray that you would 
um, highlight them for us. And I pray that you'd fill us with joy, God, as we go through this next month. And of course, whatever the decades ahead hold us, hold for us, um, thank you that we can have joy. Thank you for who you are and what you've done. Shape that joy in us, we pray. And so we honor you, we lift you high. You have been so good to us. And we pray all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.